Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about co-op games. We're talking about games where people are working together, and we're talking to Peter Hayward of Jelly Bean Games, the designer of Dracula's Feast and Lady and the Tiger. Peter, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man, I'm excited to have you on. I, this is something that's near and dear to my heart. I love co-op games. I prefer to play co-op games. I prefer RPG games, like tabletop RPG. We're working together, the Tell a Cool Story, over the really, you know, grindy competitive stuff i mean those those are fine but anytime i get to play with friends and work together for a common goal that's what i want to do and i'm even designing a co-op game right now so i'm excited to kind of get your uh, opinions on some things that that i'm working on but amazing yeah but you you kind of you sent me an email a while back we got to talking about how you have played hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prototypes and you don't think you've ever played a good co-op prototype. And so I am pumped to kind of get all your, your ins and outs and, and thoughts on, on this today. But first, real quick, just give me your bio. Who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that, all that good stuff. Uh, so my name's Peter. I'm an Australian who lives in Canada, and I run a company called Jellybean Games. We did the games you listed uh, earlier, as well as Ninjutsu, Scuttle, Show and Tile, a bunch coming out this year. Uh, and I, I, how did I get into game design? I, I, I knew you were going to ask this because I listened to your show, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't think about it. Um, as a kid, I had a book on how to design board games, and they were all, you know, how to design a roll and write that kind of thing. But I, I designed probably hundreds of games as a kid, put it away, never thought about it again until about six, seven years ago when a friend of mine got into board game design, and I thought I, I could try that. I could try that as well. And I found that I have a bit of a knack for it. I, I, I'm, I like systems. I like little systems and piecing stuff together. So I started designing, I started publishing, and I, I, I made friends with the Greater Than Games crew, so Sentinels of Multiverse, Spirit Island, uh, that team. And so they really kind of mentored me a lot for both publishing and design and development, all that kind of stuff. I do freelance development for them. Uh, I, do, I do freelance development for WizKids, and I design a bunch of games. Very cool, man. So you get your hand in a lot of different places in the, the gaming industry. Yeah, it keeps me busy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And also, you're from the kind of the wintry north. Does that kind of help? You, you kind of have a number of uh, months out of the year where you get to just kind of hang out inside. Uh, I working from I work from home, so I don't leave the house much, yeah. which means that my husband and I play a lot of board games. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, well, cool, man. Well, all right. As we get into this topic, this talk about co-op games, what is it? Let's get a good working definition before we jump in about what is a cooperative game. So I think your definition earlier was really, really good. It's when all the players are working together for a common goal. And for me, there's a few kind of adjacent game types. So storytelling games where there's where there's no winner, I wouldn't classify that as a co-op game. For yep. me, if, if it's a bunch of people getting together and just telling a story together, that's not really a co-op game. You don't have anything to defeat. There's no real win or loss for most of them. It's like a cooperative activity. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, for me... Games like uh, trader mechanic games are not co-op games. I firmly put them in a whole different category. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you're, you're, um, you're like resistance. Some people think of resistance is a co-op game in a sense because you're all on a team together. Except for some people, no, that, that's competitive. There is a team who beats the other team. One versus many games like Spectre Ops or 
Uh, even Shadows Over Camelot. Shadow Cam Shadows Over Camelot has a cooperative mode and it also has a trading mechanic mode. And they're, for me, two different games. Yeah. Uh, solo games, I don't count as co-ops uh, because even though, you know, you, you, you are all working together where that all is just you and you can play it with your, you know, with your spouse and, and have a good time. A solo game for me is, is a whole different setup than a co-op game. So, yeah, co-op games are when you're working together and you either win as a team or lose as a team. Gotcha. And now give me an idea of how many co-op games you think you've played, especially in prototype form. We were talking about this before the show. <laughs> you go to all these different like unpubs and the protospiels and all these different like prototype cons. Give me an idea of how many you think you've played. I just this year downloaded the board game stats app because I was like, how many games do I play in a year? But I'm not recording prototypes with it. I'm seriously considering getting another one because I go to at least three or four prototype events in Toronto every month. Uh, I go to Unpub, I go to Metatopia, I go to the Paxes, I go to Origins, I go to Gen Con, but I go to those things just to play prototypes. It's very rare that I go there for anything other than playing a bunch of prototypes. So I, I've never written it down. I'm, I'm genuinely curious myself. I would guess that I play hundreds of prototypes a year, gotcha. hundreds and hundreds. And what kind of percentage do you see are co-ops? Uh, more than I would like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> confession here, I don't like most co-ops. Mm-hmm. So it might, might sound strange that I'm talking about it, but I think the fact that I don't like it means that whenever I'm, I'm playing one, I'm not really invested, so I'm kind of an, able to analyze the structure and think about it. But the majority of co-op games I don't like, and like, like you said at the start, I've never played a prototype cooperative game that I've liked. I would guess probably uh, somewhere between 30, 50, 60 co-op co prototypes every year I play. Yeah, gotcha. Now, I think your perspective is a really good one to have. Like we talked about on the show a bunch, you got to have people that aren't afraid to hurt your feelings. You have people, you know, that play your game that will tell you exactly what they need to tell you. And so as a guy that doesn't particularly like this type of game because of the things we're about to talk about, I feel like you have a really good perspective that anyone working on a co-op game needs to hear, needs to listen to, and myself included. I am super pumped to kind of hear the different uh, thoughts that you have because I'm trying to make a, a co-op game and I'm trying to make it better. So Yeah. Well, the reason I emailed you is because... What I'm about to talk about is a spiel that I've given dozens of times at this point. I've, I have people who I generally go to these cons with, and after we play a proto, after we play a co-op prototype, they kind of sit back and they wait for the exact same <laughs> routine to come out because so far every single prototype co-op I've played has failed in the same way, hmm. uh, and that's because I think there is a really strong structure to a good co-op game. It's really simple. It's really strong, and I think you'll find that almost every I mean, in my experience, every co-op game of a certain type follows this exact structure and none of the prototypes follow it. Literally, I've never seen a single prototype that does these things. And even outside of like me not liking prototypes or me not liking this game, like there, there are prototypes I've played, not liked them, and they've gone on to do well. All of these co-op prototypes, the designer has known that something is wrong. Mm -hmm. And I've gone through this spiel and I've been like, yes, like I've, I've gotten vague feedback around this, but this nails down exactly the things that I need to fix. So that, that's why I wanted to talk about this because this is... A very familiar spiel to me. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's get first before we get into those things. What are the kinds of proto? Uh, sorry, the kinds of cooperative games. I've worked out the system. Um, someone once asked me, like, where did you find the system? And it's not something I've found online. It's something I, I've come up with and not found anything to kind of break it. But there's two. In my experience, there are two types of co-op games, uh, and they could be broadly defined as the ones that I like and the ones that I don't like. <laughs> but a better way of putting it is that there are limited communication co-ops. And there are against-the-game co-ops. I love limited communication co-ops. Uh, Mysterium, Hanabi, Space Alert, Witness. Like These are some of my favorite games. I cannot stand against-the-game co-ops. 
And this is obviously a personal thing, but I think that if, if you break down every co-op game you've ever played, you'll probably find it's one of these things. So a limited communication co-op is exactly what it says in the title. It is a game where you and your team have got some kind of limited communication. So generally you're trying to solve a puzzle or convey information or achieve a goal, just like in, in all games, you're trying to achieve a goal. And without the limited communication rule, you could solve it in 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Hanabi is probably the, the best example of this. Hanabi, you're just trying to, you're trying to put the numbers one through five in a pile in five different colors. That's it. That is the entire game Hanabi if you don't have any limited communication. If, you know, if that was the game, then I'd say, oh, I'm going to put down a one of blue. Cool, you've got a two of blue. Great. You know, we're winning this game. Yeah. The trick with Hanabi is that you can't see your cards and your communication is extremely limited. Like th that's it. That's the entire game of Hanabi. Witness is, I don't know if you're familiar with Witness, it's a great game. I think it's out of print now. It's exactly four players. Yeah. You're basically given a logic puzzle. So, you know, Jack is sitting next to Jill, who is wearing a yellow top, sitting across from Terence, who is wearing a blue top, uh, except each of you only has a quarter of the information. And the only way to get the information around the table is by whispering it to the player to your left. So if you're on my right, the only way I can get the information to you is by whispering it to someone who whispers it to someone who whispers it to someone, and then you have that information. Again, if there were no limitations on communication, I could just say, hey, guys, here's my information. What's yours? What's yours? What's yours? Man, we won this game very easily. Yeah. But the, uh, the limited communication is, is what the challenge is. It's, it's where, the, where the game is. Uh, and I love those. I think that's, that's a beautiful mechanic. I will play those all day, every day, forever. I have never once played a limited communication cooperative prototype. You've never even played one at all. Not one that was good. You're just saying never one. Never at played all. one. No one no one designs them. And I think it's because they're so hard to design because yeah. you need to come up with a new way to limit communication that's interesting. <laughs> right. Uh, that hasn't been done before. That you know, it's, it's like coming up with any novel mechanism, except for if if you use the Hanabi method, everyone's gonna be like, oh, this game's just Hanabi. Like yeah, right. I've played this already, it's Hanabi. Yeah, I think another issue is they're so much harder to, to play test, right? A co-op, one great thing about a co-op game in general is I can play it by myself and I'm not having to compete with anyone. Yeah. So I can just kind of solo mode it and I can be different players and it's not a big deal. You can play as everyone. Yeah, but limited with the limited communication, I can't like <laughs> pretend I didn't hear something or I didn't know something. And so I yeah. think the being able to play test is also another reason it's hard. Yeah, a, a lot of my designs are social deduction games, mm. which are also just literally impossible to playtest by yourself. Right. I can't be like, do I suspect me of being a bad guy? <laughs> the most common thing that people use as a, as a limited communication in co-op games is just time. Yeah. Actually, I tell a lie. I've played two limited communication co-ops, I just remembered, and they were both using the timed element, and they were both quite good. I enjoyed them. Now, when you say timed element, what do you, what do you mean? Have you played Space Alert? No, but I know I know what you're talking about. Okay, so Space Alert is a Vlada Shavadal game, mm -hmm. the best designer in the world, flat out. And in it, you're all different members of, of a space crew, and you have two minutes to defeat the aliens, basically. It's a program movement game. You are all simultaneously programming your movement in real time, and you have to program something like 12 movements over the course of, I think it's two, three minutes. And so it is. It is intense and chaotic. You remove the timed element, you can master this game. You can do it perfectly. But the timed element is when the bad guys, it tells you what bad guys are coming in. There's various times when you're literally not allowed to talk at all. And by the end of it, you've programmed your 12 steps and then you just go through and execute them one by one. And you will find yourself doing stuff completely different to what you expected. Mm. There, there is no chance, there's no dice rolling. It's literally just follow the actions that you've programmed out and watch the whole thing fall apart. It's, it's amazing, <laughs> delightful game. 
And yeah, so timed elements is probably the most common thing that people do to make a co-op into a limited communication, where the limit in this case is just time. Yeah, gotcha. Well, cool, man. So let's talk about the other side. Let's talk about the kinds of games that you hate, that you don't like, and that people need to do better on. <laughs> this is by far the most common type of cooperative game. I call them against the game co-ops, and it's very simple. You and your team are fighting the game. And that can be an element that occurs in a limited communication co-op, space alert, you're literally fighting aliens. But in, in your against the game co-ops, there's no, there's no limit. You can share full information with each other. The challenge comes from the difficultness of fighting the game. So it, when you think co-op game, you're probably thinking one of these, uh, Pandemic, Sentinels of the Multiverse, Forbidden Island, Flashpoint Fire Rescue, like any game where you as a team are sitting down and trying to outsmart the game essentially. Yeah, gotcha. And so, what do you think? Why do you think more people design those? What makes those easier to design? Do you think? One reason I think that there are more of those is just because there are more of those. Hmm. You'll play one, you'll think, "Oh, I could design one where you're fighting rabbits on a farm." Like it's it's pe people generally get inspired by what they see. And the same reason as something like ninety seven percent of game designers are men is because ninety seven percent of game designers are men. Hmm. So men see a game design, and they're like, I could do that. Women are like, oh, that's a thing that men do. <laughs> uh, not 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 consciously, but that tends yeah. to be the the thinking. So when you play a cooperative game, probably I've never looked it up, but probably like seventy five to ninety percent of co-op games are against the game. And so when you when you think co-op, that's what you think, that's what you design. Uh, the second reason is exactly what you said. They are so much easier to design and they are so much easier to play test. Uh, they're easy to design because you don't need to... All, all you're doing is, is constructing an engine that you want to beat, uh, which is part of game design anyway. <laughs> uh, every, every game has... You need to overcome this limit to achieve a goal. Co-op games just don't have other players as part of the limit that you need to overcome. Uh, and yeah, playtesting it is, is very simple because, like you said, you can play it solo. That's actually a useful way to distinguish between the two of them. If you can play it solo, it can't be a limited communication game. Just yeah. basically by definition. Right. That makes sense. Unless you're schizophrenic and you've, you know, have multiple stuff. <laughs> Unless you're on. playing against yourself year by year, so you forget what you did <laughs> one year ago. <laughs> That's true. It's a good way to do it. All right. Every every year on March 5th, I'm going to play this game. And... <laughs> I'm going to take one more turn. <laughs> right. Take 25 years to finish. Well, cool, wake, up, wake up in the middle of the night, play around, <laughs> go back to sleep, forget what you did overnight. That's right. Or just play with my kids who seem to forget everything Yeah, that... <laughs> immediately. Like, I just told you to do that. Do you remember? No, of course not. Never mind. <laughs> all right. All right. So let's talk about the formula that you, you mentioned earlier, the kind of the three parts. Tell me about this formula and let's dive into each, each part. So over the course of playing dozens and dozens of cooperative prototypes, which I don't want to say that they're bad because... Every prototype is unfinished. That's what makes it a prototype. Right. But every cooperative prototype I've played has basically failed to follow what I see as a really clear formula that against the game co-ops have. So the first step is that players have a clear iterative goal. I'm going to use Pandemic, Flashpoint, Fire Rescue, and Sentinels because they're my three favorite co-op games of a genre that I don't like. Right. Uh, so in Pandemic, your goal is cure the diseases. It is a clear goal. It is iterative. You have to cure one disease, then the next one, the next one. And in fact, each of those goals is then further broken up into steps. You have to collect this many cards and go to this place. In Flashpoint Fire Rescue, your goal is, I believe it's seven, rescue seven people from this building. Again, clear goal. They are rescued when you have taken them outside. It's iterative. You do one, then you do two, you do three, four, five, six, seven. And there's, again, those are broken up into steps. You go in, you get them, you take them out again. So this, this structure is really clear. In Sentinel's Multiverse, your goal in 
I think every single uh, villain is just defeat the villain, take him to zero health. Maybe there's some other stuff tacked on, but your core goal is always take all the health off this villain. And quite often they'll have steps to prevent that. So they'll have like, you before you can defeat Baron Blade, you have to take out his teleporter or whatever it is, his uh, defense platform. Uh, so the goal, take the health to zero. It's iterative because you have to go down from 40 all the way to zero. And there's sometimes a step in between, take out this thing and then do the goal. A lot of Sentinels vill villains are actually double-sided, so you'll you'll complete one goal, it'll flip, you'll have a second goal you have to complete. But as you can see, all of these games follow that exact structure, a numerical goal that you complete in steps. Yeah, and so and what I love about all of them is it, it's very simple. If you're explaining the game, you say, yep. here's our goal. We want to beat the bad guy. We want to cure yep. the diseases. You know, We want to save the, the people in the fire. Okay, cool. When we can start the game knowing what we want to do. Now, the, the prototypes you've played that didn't didn't do so well do they have too many goals like are they just trying to have players do too so, many yeah, things i can't think of and, and I, I dare say that many people listening to this have played more cooperative games than i have i can't think of any against the game cooperative games where you have multiple paths to victory hmm. it's a it's quite a common thing in a competitive game but in a co-op game you typically just have the one thing that you're trying to achieve so yeah one way that prototypes often fall down is they're like look you can win by you know doing this or doing this or doing this or doing this and it just it makes it hard to hard to focus. Conversely, most against the game co-ops will have multiple lose conditions. Uh, not always. Sometimes they'll just have the one. But um, Sentinels Multiverse has one built in, and then each villain will generally have another one. So in Sentinels Multiverse, if all of your heroes lose all their health, game over. You've lost. Uh, but sometimes Baron Blade, for instance, if you run out the deck, the the villain deck, you also lose that way. Pandemic, you can lose by outbreaks. You can lose by running out of cubes. I think there might be one or two other ways you can I think lose. If you run out the deck, you lose in that one too. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, so there, there's a, there's a few different ways that you can lose in pandemic, but there's one way you can win. A lot of prototype co-op games don't even have a lose condition. Hmm. It'll just be you're trying to do this and go for it. Uh, sometimes they'll have a set number of rounds, which I actually think is a is a pretty weak lose condition for a co-op. Again, I can't think of any published games that have. I mean, you could argue running out the deck is a number of rounds, but so what you want is one clear goal and then a clear lose conditions, maybe some other lose conditions, but one clear lose condition that again should be iterative. You shouldn't be halfway through the game thinking you're doing well, then a card flips over and suddenly you're out, done, game over. You shouldn't be three rounds in, know that you can't win and still have to play another five rounds because it's a, it's a timed lose condition. There should be a clear thing that you're trying to avoid and a clear thing that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, gotcha. Now, this, the number two thing in the in the three, is that lose conditions? That, yeah, I would say number one is goal. Number two is lose condition. Gotcha. And having having multiples, right? I'm trying to think if it would be possible to do a good game that had one lose condition and multiple win conditions. Like what that would look like to kind of flip, pandemic flip some of these other games on their heads. Like, I think it would be possible. It would be the kind of thing that I'd love to see Matt Leacock tackle because right. he can he can breathe co-ops. You know, right. he can he can come up with them in his sleep. Um, I've been playing a lot of Feast for Odin lately by Uwe Rosenberg, and he breaks half the design rules that there are. But because he knows games so well, he does it masterfully. Uh, a, a lot of designers will kind of come in and be like, "I'm going to break this rule. I don't really know how to make a game yet, but I know this right. rule and I want to break it." I think, you know, master master a format and then try to subvert the rules rather than start from there. And that's different to having a hook. Having a hook is is a distinctly different thing. Right. Well, this is very similar to what I teach students in my, in my English class. So we've been doing short stories lately and writing dialogue and how to write and all these things. And so I've been 
uh, both talking to them and then showing them videos you know, from YouTube and whatnot of really famous, amazing writers. And we've been working on the fundamentals, how to write dialogue, how to punctuate it, what it looks like to do it correctly. And then what's funny, they'll sometimes they'll bring me something they're reading and go, hey, but, you know, Ernest Hemingway did it this way. And I said, yes, because he's freaking <laughs> Ernest Hemingway, right? And so you have to learn the fundamentals and the foundation, and then you can do whatever you want. Then you can break all the rules there are because the rules are really just guidelines, but you need to learn them as rules at the beginning because otherwise you won't fully understand how to break them and yeah. it won't come out right. If you, if you, you, You've got to understand the structure before you can subvert the structure. Exactly. And so if it works in writing for sure, and I, I believe it works the same way we're talking about with, with game design. Design boring games almost. Like when you first get started, design games that probably maybe not going to get published because they've been done before, but you're going to understand how the things work from the inside yeah. out. And then, you know, a couple of da- couple game designs down the road, you've got something that's brand new that's got a, a total brand new twist on a, on a mechanism or an idea, but you have to learn the, the basics first. Yeah. yeah my, my suggestion for new designers is always design a complete game that's not very good before you try to design a good game that's complete. That is really good advice. Say that one more time. Design a complete game that can't break, that has no massive flaws that make it unplayable, even if it's not very good. Design a complete game that's not very good before you try to design a good game that's complete. That's Yeah, exactly. Because so many people, they say, yeah, I'm working on 15 games right now. It's like, no, no, you're <laughs> not. one. You're right. <laughs> you've, got, you've got notes written down on a bunch of ideas, but ideas aren't games. You can't sit there and play an idea. Uh, and yeah. you definitely can't play a broken one. And so, yeah, finish something. That's something, actually, a couple of days ago, I showed a video to my students about writing, and it was from Neil Gaiman. And somebody had said, what's the best advice you would ever give, like, give a writer? And he said, finish things. Yeah. You know, hard work takes you so far, but finishing things will take you the rest of the way on whatever you're working on. And I was like, this this translates perfectly into game design. Just finish something. Because if you don't finish it, you can't develop it, you can't make it better, you can't figure it out. It's kind of the whole, you know, write first, then edit later. Finish the thing first, and then go back and fix where it's broken. But if you don't finish it, it's never more than just an idea. Yeah, exactly. Well, cool, man. What's the, uh, what's the third thing in the formula, in the breakdown? Uh, so the third one I think of is putting out fires. Uh, so the thing is, a lot of these actually apply generally to game design. So, like, have a clear goal is true of every game you ever play. Lose condition in most competitive games is just not having the most points or, or not, not completing that goal first. But uh, putting out fires... So I'm going to use uh, uh, Pandemic as an example. First turn of Pandemic, you know what you have to do. There are some cities with diseases in them. You have to go in, get rid of those cubes, because they're about to pop. It's a fire that if you leave it, it will lead you to one of those lose conditions right. almost immediately. You have a clear short-term objective from turn one of Pandemic. This is true of every co-op game, every against the game co-op game that I've ever played. Uh, it is true of almost no prototype co-op games I've played. On the first turn, aside from win the game, I wanna know what I need to do to stop myself from losing. And so I, I call that putting out fires. Flashpoint Fire Rescue is a great example of this because literally <laughs> you are firefighters putting <laughs> out fires. Right. So the tension of a good co-op game comes between balancing these fires, which are just really a subset of your lose condition, and trying to achieve your long-term goal. Sentinels of the Multiverse opens with the villain hitting everyone, or you know, flipping a card and whatever they do. You have something to react to straight away. And so for me, this is the key thing that I don't see many prototypes doing, giving players an immediate short-term objective or a fire to put out. 
And like I was saying, this applies to competitive games. You, you don't want to start a game being like, okay, I know how to win this game. I don't know what to do in my first turn. You want to give them a short-term goal. In a cooperative game, your short-term goal should be don't lose the game yet. <laughs> <laughs> right. Push that back as far as, as far as you can, right? Exactly. So, yeah, the tension of a good co-op is between putting out fires, trying to achieve your goal, and crucially, these both need to ramp up as the game goes on. As you get that much closer to achieving your goal, there should be so many fires that it's a real point of tension. It's a really significant decision. Ah, do I take those two cubes out of that city that might pop? Or do I get this last, like one of our, of our third cure so we can be that much closer to winning the game? That tension, I think, is what makes all of Matt Leacock's design so good. What makes Sentinels the Multiverse, Spirit Island, Flashpoint Fire Rescue, what makes a co-op game so good is that it is... A genuinely difficult decision and this is what generates conversation among the players i think i should go and save that city no 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 i think we'll be fine with that we are so close to achieving one of our iterative goals you should do that instead yeah and this actually kind of makes me feel good it's the game i'm working on it's a cooperative game it's a superhero game and so you are constantly having to balance do we stop these these villains and these minions who are destroying the city and doing bad things or do we work on the big mastermind and stopping his scheme? Because ultimately, to win the game, you have to defeat the mastermind and stop whatever scheme he has, and it depends yeah. on the scenario. But at the same time, the city is like slowly being turned into rubble, and if the city is destroyed, then there's no point in saving anything, so yeah. you lose the game. And so you're, you're trying to balance, okay, all these, these people over here, we've, we've got to... Uh, Go in, and you're in New York City, right? And so you're like, okay, I'm going to go over into Harlem and I'm going to beat up these guys because if we don't, it's going to break this threshold and more of the city is going to be gone. It's like, well, no, we don't need to do that because the, the mastermind's over here and he's about to turn this thing into, you know, he's about to fulfill part of his scheme and so we've got to make sure we get this over here. It's like, ah, I don't know which one to do. And that creates great tension and great choices for the players and you're constantly trying to balance one with the other because if you don't do one, you lose. If you don't do the other, you lose. And so you can't <laughs> you can't focus like you really well, want Well, as well to. as that, if, if you don't do one, you lose. If you don't do the other, you don't win, which is yeah. subtly different. You, you, you've, got the, the, you've got to stop the scheme to win and also not to lose, but that's your, that's your positive goal. That's the thing that you're aiming to do. So in the same way as in uh, you know most worker placement games, ah, do I get one step closer to victory points or do I get the food to feed my workers? Because that's, that's you know, am I avoiding a negative or achieving a positive? That's the balance of most games, but particularly co-ops, I feel. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's what makes a good game. Uh, what makes a good game great is giving the players these choices that produce tension, right? Uh, and if you think about what, what makes a good story, it's good tension. And so giving the, the players that 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 tightrope they're having to walk and trying to yeah. find that place down the middle. All right, so let's... One, one, thing, sorry, uh, one thing about the putting out fires, too, is that, again, in almost every co-op game I've played, the fires are actually unrelated to your goal. Now, they're mm. thematically linked, obviously. Yeah. But your goal in Pandemic is to cure four diseases. It is not to take all the disease cubes off the board. Right. Uh, I, I just today, because I knew I was coming on here, I listened to your Matt Leacock interview again. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure I wasn't overlapping any of his cooperative tips. And he said that when he was designing Pandemic, he made sure that you didn't have to wipe every disease off the board because that's just clean up at that page. You've, you've achieved your goal, which is unrelated mechanically to the fires. In Flashpoint Fire Rescue, your goal is not save the house. You can't save the house. The house is, is burning down no matter what you do. Your goal is save seven victims and in order to do that, you need to dampen the fire, not put out the entire fire. Right. And it's kind of like if you have a movie that hits its climax and then has 30 or 40 minutes of 
of other stuff happening after that. Yeah. yeah, it's like, okay, this is a little bit long. It's kind of like the uh, Lord of the Rings. I mean, they, I they had say, to wrap up. Lord of the Rings up. 3 is the classic example. Right, there's so many loose ends to tie up. And I get it, it was, you know, an epic thing. But man, it was just a little bit long. And you don't want that in a game where your game hits that magical moment of climax. And then the next 20, 30 minutes, you're like, all right, we, we already won, didn't we? Like, what do we, like, yeah. this is, again, it's not like choices. There's not tension anymore. And so if you can find that climax point and make that basically the end of your game, I think you have a much better yeah. uh, game because of it. And so it's, it's interesting. Um, if you see the fires as a sort of currency. So in, in Pandemic, the currency is once all the cubes are on the board, you'll lose. As you get closer and closer to your goal, that currency is less important because you can say, look, we've only got two cubes left before we lose, but if we cure this last disease, that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Sentinels of the Multiverse, your player's health is, is your currency. So many games of Sentinels of the Multiverse end with four players knocked out and one-on-one health because as you're that close to victory, it doesn't matter. The only mm-hmm. thing that matters is your goal. The fires are suddenly less relevant again. Flashpoint Fire Rescue, if I've got one guy two steps from the door to win the game, I'm not going to drop him, go put out some fires, come back and do it. And so, yeah, I think it's really important for a good co-op game to make sure that... Here's the challenge. That's what I'm going to say. The challenge is working out a goal, working out fires, making them mechanically separate, but thematically very strongly linked. Yeah. And again, this is why Pandemic is the king of co-ops, because if you broke Pandemic down to purely mechanical... <laughs> You've got these cubes on the board, and separately you've got collections of cards. They have no relation. Right. Mechanically, they're not related at all. But we know that them going down on the board is the disease spreading, and the cards is curing the disease. So thematically, they are exactly linked. It's it's a brilliant design. As much as I dislike co-op games, I can admire the design of a really good one, and Pandemic's a masterpiece. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You can kind of get some funny moments. Like with my own game, the night we were playing, we were play, doing a playtest, and if we if the city goes to like one more damage basically then you lose and somebody looked at me he's like yeah but even if we won right now what are we saving like one building like one building is left <laughs> in new york like if we really save that much it's like shut up this is just just don't worry about it <laughs> you know and so you get those moments it's like yeah we won it's like yeah, but, yeah. you know no, I, I think that's true of every every co-op game i mean flashpoint fire rescue i think is is a very good archetypal co-op game because you're literally again you're literally putting out fires and that's the way that i describe every co-op game but you go into that you never think in that game, maybe we can save the house. Right. Uh, you're never thinking, guys, if we work hard enough, we don't have to rescue the victims because we can just put out all the fires. You know going in, this house is burning down no matter what you do. So there's no sense of thematic discord in that sense. In Pandemic, once the diseases are cured, you know how easy they are to remove. So sure, we may have lost uh, Essen to disease four times in this game, but we know that once the diseases are cured, we can come back and clean it all up. And I think that's that's how you get that disconnect. In Sentinels of the Multiverse, characters don't die, they're incapacitated. Right. So in the same way as Superman might get knocked out during a battle, I don't know if Superman's ever been knocked out during a battle, you know that he, the comic series is not over because Batman can wipe out the villain, pick him up, take him home and heal him. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you're struggling with that, I'd, I'd say make make it clear that either you're abandoning New York. <laughs> Either A, New York is done, you're not going to care about it, or B, once this villain is defeated, we will be able to rebuild. Right. If I think I think the solution to that problem would be one of those two kind of paths. Either the pandemic route of once the problem's solved, all the little problems will also be solved, or the flashpoint system of we're not going to try to solve that problem. <laughs> yeah, right. That house is done. Right, but as long as everyone's not dead, as long as you have a few survivors, you can rebuild. You can you rebuild, know? right. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's move on into talking about competitive co-ops, which is kind of an oxymoron, the, the semi-co-op. Tell me your thoughts on those. So semi-co-ops uh, sort of, to a certain extent, drive me mad because <laughs> I don't I don't believe in the term. For me, when I, when I hear a designer say, I've made a semi-cooperative game, all I hear is, I've made a game that isn't very good. <laughs> okay. Uh, in my experience, there is exactly one semi-cooperative game in the world. It's called Dead of Winter, and that is the one game that I genuinely believe manages to capture competitiveness and cooperativeness in the one game. Now, there might be others I've never played. Apparently, some of the cthulhu games do it quite well. But in, in when most people say semi-cooperative, what they mean is there is a winner or everybody loses. Right. That's typically what they mean. Uh, I, I don't know any published games that do it offhand, but I'm sure, I'm sure that you can name a few. Basically, at the end of the game, there will be a winner, but at any point, someone can slam the game and make everyone lose, which I, I just genuinely see as bad design. I think uh, if, if I was a slightly pettier player and I knew I was losing, if I knew there was no chance of me getting to first place, it's not even king-making at that point. It's if I'm going to lose anyway, why not just make everyone lose? Right. Like, why not just do that? Dead of Winter gets around it because it's impossible to achieve your personal victory condition without the group victory condition being achieved. And you can have multiple winners. It's, it's a thing that you don't see in many games where at the end of a game of Dead of Winter, even if there's no traitor involved, everyone can win or one person can win. But at no point is there anyone like, ah, I'm not going to win. I'm going to trash the game for everyone. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. And there's some games that kind of have these tacked on rules. Like you have, oh, we all won, but then there's the ultimate winner, like Legendary and some of those others where you get points over the course of a game for doing different things. And so it's like everyone wins, but then there's the, the real first place the, winner. The, the best winner. Yeah. Uh, I think, honestly, that's part of the reason I like limited communication games. I like to feel significant. I like to feel like in a game, I can track what I did. In a competitive game, that's very easy. Did I win? Did I come second? Did I come third? Did I come last? I know at the end of a competitive game exactly how much my contribution had impact on the game. In and against the game co-op, if I'm playing, say, the medic, I might a pandemic, I might be like, well, I did a lot, but that's because I had a better role. Did I did I make a difference? I don't know. I don't really know what I did. And so those games, I think they're trying to solve that problem for me, but they just they just fall flat. Because if I'm in last place and I'm viewing a competitive mind, mindset, if I like if I know that I'm not going to be winning this game, I don't care if we win as a team. <laughs> right. I'm not winning. Why am I bothering helping you guys? Uh, it's, it's very much a personal issue. I'm not saying this is true of every gamer. I clearly need help, but <laughs> it is enough to, to turn me off games that call themselves semi-cooperative and generally speaking against the game co-ops. I just don't enjoy them. I do like playing them solo because I know exactly how much impact I had. Mm -hmm. 100% of the impact. If I won, it was because of me. If I lost, it was because of me. In a, in a cooperative game against the game, I don't know. Limited communication kind of solves this problem for me because I can I can do a cool thing that no one else had input on. Yeah, that's a good point. In, in Mysterium, if I'm the ghost, I can hand out a clue and they'll get it and I'll be like, yes, that's because it was a good clue. If I interpret a clue, I'm like, I did that, no one else could have done that. In against the game co-op, if I make a move, whoever is the best player at the table would have seen that move. Yeah. And if it's not the best move, I shouldn't make it. I should just defer to the best player at the table. Mm, that's a good point. Now, do you have any advice for someone who wants to make a semi-co-op? Like any, any ways that it could be done well? Um, play Dead of Winter. <laughs> play a lot of Dead of Winter. Uh, I think that does it really well. But ultimately, like, okay, work out what you're trying to achieve by making a semi-cooperative game. 
because I don't know what the point of them is. Mm. I have no idea. If you have a really clear goal and agenda and you're designing to that agenda, my first bit of advice would be see if you can do it without making a semi-cooperative game. If you want to make a game where people have to work together to not suffer, but there is a winner, for me, that's almost fundamentally flawed. Like, I, I don't see the point of, of doing that over just making a competitive game or just making a cooperative game. Uh, so if you have a really clear reason to do that, sure, like go ahead and do that. But you, make sure you know exactly why you're doing it. And then my second piece of advice would be don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think the theme has to evoke that style of game if you're going to do it at all. Dead of Winter is a post-apocalyptic... post-apocalyptic ha! Dead of Winter is a post-apocalyptic game in which everyone is... You need each other because you're all trying to survive, but at the same time, you have your own goals because it's the end of the world, and it makes sense. That semi-co-op nature of it makes sense, where there's a lot of games that just doesn't fit. It doesn't yeah. make sense. Actually, my, my big piece of advice, if you're going to make a semi-cooperative game, make it a flat win-lose and allow multiple winners. That's why Dead of Winter works. There's no first place, second place, third place losers. There's just you individually either won or you didn't win. On, on the note of the limited communication verse against the game, I've found that a lot of against the game co-ops sort of artificially introduce this limited communication aspect. So, for example, in Pandemic, you're meant to keep your cards in hand. That's what the rulebook says. Keep your cards in hand. Uh, it's it's really a little bit of tacked on limited communication. It's just to prevent someone playing the whole game for everyone. And I get that. But ultimately, you can say what's in your hand at any point to anyone. So you might as well just play it on on the table if you're confident that no one's going to quarterback is the term. Uh, I believe it's one of the Cthulhu games, I couldn't tell you which one, has a rule that you're not allowed to say what's in your hand. Otherwise, it's a pure against the game cop, but they say, you're not allowed to say that. And I know so many people find that incredibly frustrating mm. because, again, it's tacked on. It's not. I think if you're designing a co-op game, just knowing the difference between these two types is really important to understand that you don't want to you don't want to make a hybrid because people generally really like one or really like the other. I have this conversation with a lot of people. People who are designing against the game co-ops tend not to like limited communication co-ops. People like me who don't like against the game co-ops tend to love limited communication co-ops. It kind of splits people into these two categories. So trying to trying to combine them feels like uh, trying to please everyone and you're just not going to manage. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about solo games and maybe some campaign style games. Like sometimes people say, well, this is kind of, it's like a co op. You know, I'm playing by myself, but it's still, you know, the same kind of uh, mentality or strategy of a co op game. But tell me about that. So I split co op games into these two categories, which I genuinely think covers 99.9% .9 of co ops. I think you can occasionally find stuff that's outside of this. Uh, Flip Ships by Renegade is a great example. That is a dexterity co op, it is against the game. But the limitation is not communication, it's dexterity. So you could have one person flip for every player, but at that point you're not playing a co-op anymore. Um, so solo games for me are a whole other beast. They fall into two categories of their own, which are just it's a puzzle game or it's a co competitive game where your competitor is a robot. Uh, Mage Knight is one of my favorite games, and it is most popular as a solo game. The solo game works because you have a dummy player, basically. They just count down, uh, and so... Uh, Scythe is very, very popular solo, but you play against the aut automata. I don't yep. know how to pronounce it. Uh, you play against the automata, who are just dummy players. So that that is the most common way that a solo work game works when it's a when it's a one player mode of a bigger game. The other one, pure solo games tend to just be puzzles. Uh, your uh, Feast for Odin has a solo mode, and there's no dummy player. It's just you playing two players essentially and seeing how well you can do. And it's a puzzle. Every turn, you're putting your pieces down, trying to work out how to puzzle it together. 
Lady and the Tiger, which we just coming out soon from Jellybean Games, has a solo mode. Uh, Lady and the Tiger is five games in one. One of them is a solo game, and it's a puzzle. It's there's no there's no dummy player. You're just trying to solve this puzzle before you run the deck out. So solo games for me don't follow this structure. They obviously aren't limited communication. They they can be against the game, but generally if it's an against the game, it's just a solo mode of a co-op game. Pure solo games tend to be puzzles or something to do with a dummy player. All right, let's go back to trader mechanics. Anything else you want to add as far as trader? Because you said earlier that a, a game with a trader mechanic isn't isn't a co-op game. It's it's two teams. It is one team. Yeah. It might be one versus versus many, but it's still not a co-op game. So yeah, trader mechanic games for me, uh, they will often follow the structure of an against the game, but I don't count them as a co-op. To me, they're literally they're not they're not a co-op. Uh, when I say I dislike co-ops, I'm not including trader mechanic. I'm not including trader mechanic games. I love trader mechanic games. But let's look at Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica follows the rules of an against the game co-op. So if you're trying to design a trader mechanic game, you can genuinely start with a co-op and design it to this structure and then just add a player in who's trying to ruin the whole thing. Right. And that for me is, I don't think it as a subset as co-op because co-op is everyone winning and losing together. Uh, and again, this is why Dead of Winter, it double earns the phrase semi-cooperative. Because at the start of the game, you shuffle cards, hand them out. So there is a chance that there's a trader, and there's a chance that there's not. And you don't know until the end of the game. So it's semi-cooperative in that you're trying to achieve individual goals and individual victories while working as a team. And it's semi-cooperative in that it might not even be a cooperative game. (laughs) It might be a trader mechanic game, which because there is a winner, I I don't count as a co-op. But the structure is very, very similar in terms of mechanics. Yeah. Gotcha, man. Well, do you have any other advice or ideas on co-op game? Like, what would you tell, anything else you would tell someone working on, tell somebody like me who's working on a co-op game right now? First of all, I would just try designing your game to the structure. And I'm not saying this is how you make good games. I'm not saying this is a magic formula. I'm just saying it can't be a coincidence that every single published co-op game just happens to follow this exact formula. And again, if you know an amazing Against the game co-op that doesn't, let me know. I'm very curious to hear about it. But every single one I've played follows this structure to a T. So my advice would be try this structure. Like just try it, see if it solves those weird nagging issues that you've been coming across. Uh, if it does, hooray. If it doesn't, I'm curious as to why. Just try to work out why why that's not happening. And my other bit of advice would be if you're getting me to play your game, let me know that it's a co-op up front (laughs) so many times someone's like i've got this game with this cool theme i'm like that sounds amazing i sit down we're halfway through the rules explanation before they drop oh yeah by the way it's a co-op and i will still play it i'll play pretty much anything as long as you don't mind raw honest unfiltered feedback but i will approach the game with much much less excitement if i know it's a game that is a co-op yeah and we're actually going to get into that and a few more things in the bonus round we're going to be talking about advice for attending a prototype con uh you know unpub protospiel any of those uh peter he goes to a bunch he goes to a whole bunch a year and so he's got some really good advice we're going to talk about in the bonus round but peter real quick you got a game on kickstarter right now you want to uh, give like a two minute pitch on what that is that's right. It is called Village Pillage. It is not a co-op. I'm telling you this up front. It is a two to five player simultaneous action game. So you are a small village. You have farmers, you have warriors, you have a wall, you have a merchant. You're a happy, happy little village. The one thing is you have a village on either side of you and you hate them. Every turn, you'll play a card on your left, a card on the right. Everyone will do this simultaneously. You'll flip 
and each of your cards will resolve against your neighbor. If you ever played Between Two Cities, it's been described as a reverse Between Two Cities. <laughs> you are playing against your two neighbors, but against them instead of with them, and you're trying to be the first to collect three relics and become a kingdom. You can buy new cards that go into your hand to upgrade them. It's super fun, super simple, $24 with free US shipping on Kickstarter right now at villagepillage.com. Very cool, man. Hey, Peter, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for all the wisdom and advice, and good luck with everything you got going on right now. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?